Many Americans wish to continue living in their own homes as they age, even when they reach the point where they can't take care of themselves. Physicians can perhaps help establish appropriate care systems for self-neglecting elderly patients, but it may take some flexibility and ingenuity. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Alexander Smith, an assistant professor at the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine. Dr. Smith has co-authored a perspective article on ways to help self-neglecting elders. Dr. Smith, first, can you give us a sense of the size of the problem? We know that the population at large is aging, and you say that as many as one in 10 older adults self-neglect. So what proportion of the elderly do you think wind up without adequate support when they're unable to care for themselves? This is a challenging question to answer. First, because we have no national studies on this. And second, because for every incident of elder self-neglect that's reported to Adult Protective Services, there are others that are never reported. The best data we have are from the Chicago Health and Aging Project, which is a population-based study run out of Chicago area. And they show that rates are as high as 1 in 10, and they're much higher for African Americans than they are for white Americans. So it's rates of 11 to 13 percent for African Americans, whereas for white men and women, the rates are 2 to 3 percent. And the reasons for those differences aren't perfectly clear. It may be due to differences in the illness severity between those groups or disparities in access to care. Of course, in order to help, a physician first has to see the patient and then has to learn about the patient's living circumstances. So do the normal interactions between a primary care doctor or a geriatrician and their patients give that kind of relevant information, or what can a physician do to elicit it? So one of the hallmarks of self-neglect is that these older adults don't seek care. So oftentimes they don't come to the attention of doctors or health systems until things get really bad. You know, they're hospitalized for a hip fracture or a severe exacerbation of heart failure. On the other hand, I think doctors are trained to overwhelmingly tend to the medical sources of disease when there's very little attention paid to the social determinants of illness. However, patients who self-neglect are going to eventually come to the attention of the health system, and it's responsibility of doctors to attend to those circumstances as well. And partly the lack of training results in physicians not knowing how to ask the right questions, or when patients present, they don't recognize the signs. So doctors can notice that their patients are disheveled appearing or poor hygiene. They can go into patients' homes, which often reveals shocking living circumstances. You know, as we describe in the case in the article, piles of garbage, even evidence of rodent infection. So it's important to have eyes and ears in the home and not just visiting nurses. We argue for a greater role for support for a physician's house calls in patients' homes so that they can see for themselves what the patient is actually living like in the majority of time that they're not in the clinic or in the hospital. You say that the issue often arises or the problem is often recognized when a patient is in the hospital. In the case you describe in your article, that's exactly what happened. The patient was hospitalized, his son was summoned to discuss discharge options, and the problem came to light. What's a hospital's responsibility in a case like that? I'm not a legal expert on the hospital's responsibility. I think in general, the responsibilities vary by institution and by state. Um, in general, the hospital's responsibility extends beyond just discharge planning. And so I'm really encouraged by some of the measures in the Affordable Care Act 
that would bundle payments or create accountable care organizations so that hospitals are responsible for caring for populations of patients, not just the episodic care and the discharge home. So that hospital's responsibility should extend to ensuring that there's a smooth transition to the home setting, that visiting nurses are in place and are actually able to get into the home and care for the patient. Social work services beyond discharge planning, legal support for the physicians in the hospital if the physicians decide that conservatorship is the most appropriate route. But that hospital should defer to physicians these decisions about whether the patient has reached the threshold for meeting criteria for self-neglect. What are the most common risks to elderly people who are living alone in the community, whether they're cognitively impaired or not? And what preventive measures can we look at to address those? So we know from these population-based data, for example, from the Chicago Health and Aging Project, that older adults who self-neglect are at increased risk for mortality, for hospitalization, for emergency department visits. But anecdotally, I'd say that it extends far beyond that. Older adults who self-neglect often exhibit hoarding behaviors, extremely cluttered homes, and that places them at increased risk for hip fracture. And they often have exacerbations of chronic illnesses that aren't attended to in the home setting due to poor adherence to medications. So I've seen patients come in with remarkable states of heart failure or who have not taken their medications and have had a massive stroke. And then there are also these public health implications and outcomes from self-neglect, specifically fires. One of the reviewers for our article commented that he or she had seen too many of the charred remains of his patients in the burned-down homes, presumably due to self-neglect and accidental fires. And this is why it's important that while we, on the one hand, encourage physicians to take a greater sense of responsibility for trying to meet the patient's goals of remaining in their homes as they age, that we also have to be thoughtful and careful about the neighbors of those patients. You know, you think not just about the patient living in their apartment and their wish to remain there, but also about the family with the three-year-old child living in the apartment next door. You point out that in the United States, we place great value on people's right to make medical and social choices that may jeopardize their safety. It's hard for us to balance patients' autonomy against the imperative to keep them safe. What do other high-income countries do? Is there anything we can learn from other parts of the world? I don't have a great or specific sense of what's going on in other parts of the world. My general impression is that in European countries, there's more attention to the social aspect of health care so that there might be better services for family leave to take care of an ill elder an ill parent, greater support for home services. I know that in China, there's a law that requires children to visit and care for the social needs of their parents. So I think in general, the lessons that we can learn from other countries are thinking about incorporating a greater sense of the social responsibility in our health systems and not just the medical aspects, payments for things like reading an MRI or doing an invasive procedure but also for the conversations physicians have with patients and their caregivers about self-neglect and for social services like geriatric care managers, social workers, and for adult protective services, which has been, in general, I would say, underfunded in this country. You argue in your article that physicians can build trust with self-neglecting patients. 
align themselves with the patient's goal of remaining at home, and then building on that foundation, persuade the patients to seek help. Can you tell us about a typical conversation along those lines? Certainly. I think the general form of the conversation is something like, I know that you really want to go home, and it's my goal to help you achieve that goal. However, you should know that there are a lot of pressures towards other options, like putting you in a nursing home. So let's work together to try and achieve your goal of getting home. And I know that you don't want strangers in your home, for example, but this is one of the things that we can do to try to help you achieve your goal. This is about aligning with the patient. I can actually give an example. A patient I cared for recently that I'll keep anonymous to protect confidentiality, but this was an older man who had cancer that had metastasized to his brain, and he was hospitalized for radiation treatment. And he could barely walk across the room and he was not uh, participating in physical therapy. And for every day that he remained in the hospital and to get the radiation treatment, he was becoming progressively more deconditioned. And he really wanted to go home afterwards. This was a gentleman who had a prognosis of only weeks left to live. But we worried that he wouldn't be able to take care of himself. He had no family. And his friend, we called on the phone, said, I can only come over maybe once every couple days for an hour or two at a time. I can't give more than that. But he said to us, if there's one thing I want this time, it's lay on my couch and watch my 300 channels of television. And he was kind of cantankerous and confrontational and didn't have a great sense of appreciation of the potential harms of going home. So we aligned with him with his goals and repeatedly encouraged him to engage in physical therapy in order to meet his goals of going home. And we used persuasion. And eventually, we did get him up out of the bed and engaging with the physical therapist to the point where we felt safe enough to discharge him home, together with a patchwork of services that we provided, including hospice care, including some hours of supportive nursing care that the hospital paid for, recognizing that this was an exceptional circumstance. There is, as you say, often a patchwork of services that's put together. It seems to involve a fair amount of work. Is there a growing workforce of care managers? Uh, Are resources available to actually make this happen? There are these professional geriatric care managers, nurses or social workers or gerontologists who can help families care for older adults so that they can remain in their homes. And it's not just the work that's hard, it's the knowledge about these resources. And this is, you know, goes back to the earlier point about it shouldn't just be the geriatric care managers who have expertise in this area, but doctors need to have some training and ability to work with geriatric care managers and attention to the social circumstances that are leading their patients to be ill. And just getting back to the geriatric care managers, they're often paid out of pocket so that Medicare and Medicaid don't pay for their services. They do often offer a sliding scale to patients and families. We've had patients in our nursing home or hospital who've wanted to go home, and even though they may have had very few resources, they may have agreed to use, say, $500 for targeted hiring of a geriatric care manager in order to arrange services in their particular community so that they can get home. The services that are available vary widely from state to state, from region to region, and from city to city. And that's why there's a real need for this expertise of the geriatric care managers who can sort of work through the system 
with the families of these patients in order to help them live at home. The care of elderly patients often falls to their adult children, and they may be unable to persuade their parents to seek medical attention when they need it, to adhere to medications. How do you think clinicians can work with those adult children more effectively to help the parents? I think that there are a couple of issues here. One is that with the geographic dispersal of our families that we mentioned in the article, a lot of adult children caregivers are often distant. They may live in a different city or state or it may be a long drive away from their parents. And that creates a whole new set of challenges for those adult children who are seeking to care for their parents. I think physicians can be helpful by keeping in touch with the caregivers, whether they're local or distant, and providing a space and a place and a person to deliberate with about these challenges of mom or dad wanting to stay at home but being really worried about their health and safety in that situation. There's also a role for emotional support for those caregivers who are under tremendous strain and oftentimes giving up time at work or experiencing psychological consequences from the stress of caregiving. And physicians can play a role when everything else fails in helping to give permission to patients' family members to place their parents in a nursing home. Because sometimes you've really tried and things have failed multiple times and it's clear that it's time to make that transition even though it's not what the parent would have wanted. Thank you, Dr. Smith.